It's Wednesday, November 7th, and this is The Daily Dive. Record turnout of voters for a midterm election as Republicans maintain control of the Senate and Democrats take over in the House of Representatives. Top issues on voters' minds were health care, immigration, the economy, and the Trump effect. People voting in opposition and in support of the president. Steph Kite, reporter for Axios, joins us for how the dynamic changes between the White House and Congress. Next, Operation Faithful Patriot is underway and U.S. troops have arrived at the border to support Border Patrol and DHS. So far, they are laying razor wire on fences at bridges and erecting wire fences along the river edge in Texas. Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about what troops are doing at the border and how much estimates say it might cost for the full deployment. Finally, Harvard researchers caused a stir when they said that the first interstellar object observed in our solar system, called Oumuamua, could possibly be an alien spacecraft. Oumuamua is such a curious object because it's not easily classified as an asteroid or a comet, but it also picked up speed once it entered our solar system. Andrew Friedman, science editor for Axios, joins us for more on this and why it is almost certainly not an alien probe. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The president's agenda isn't going to change regardless of whose party is there. We're still going to be uh, an administration that's focused on lowering the taxes, growing our economy, creating jobs, defeating ISIS, remaking the judiciary, uh, fixing the uh, tremendous opioid crisis that we have. I think we can work with Democrats on that. Joining us now is Steph Kite, reporter for Axios. The election hit very hard with the enthusiasm of a presidential election year. Some of the reports said that one in six voters said it was their first time ever voting in a midterm election. People were using this as, uh, you know, on both sides. We're voting because we're supporting the president. We're voting because we're opposing the president. Everybody's all over the place. Healthcare was high on people's minds. Immigration was the economy, obviously. And it's all about Republicans will maintain control of the Senate and Democrats will control the House of Representatives. So what do we know about some of the big races and some of the big switches that happened? So we definitely saw Democrats pick up some of the key seats in the House that we've been watching heading into this midterm election. There were a few, such as New York's 11th district, where Max Rose went out over Dan Donovan. That was one that was slightly unexpected. It was a district that tends to lead Republican, and Democrats managed to pick up that seat. And it, it seats like that that you're really watching to see whether we're looking at a blue wave when it comes to the House. And, you know, of course, in Florida, Democrats were able to pick up Florida the 26th district over Carlos Corbello. So we saw consistently Democrats being able to pick up some of these districts that were in play going into it. There was a lot of interesting things that happened. Uh, one of the big ones that happened, uh, Ted Cruz beat out Beto O'Rourke in Texas for the Senate seat. Beto O'Rourke was a, a progressive star. He didn't win now. So, I mean, what happens to him? What happens to people that were supporting him and the energy that he brought to the race? You know, of course, there have been a lot of speculations about whether Beto O'Rourke will end up running in 2020. And of course, the list of potential people running in 2020, potential Democrats running continues to grow longer. But we definitely saw Beto O'Rourke bring this new energy to a very red 
state, and it was fairly close. Of course, Ted Cruz did end up winning out in the end, but I don't think we're going to see that energy just be wasted by the Democratic Party. I think they see Beto O'Rourke as a candidate that was able to rile up their base, who was super influential, not just in Texas, but nationwide, made a name for himself. So I definitely think he's someone to be watching in the future. There was a bunch of gains by women throughout the country and different mm-hmm. governorships. One that was kind of interesting, uh, not a woman, but Jared Polis in Colorado, he mm-hmm. won the governorship there. He's the first openly gay governor now in the country. Yeah, I think we saw over and over again these different firsts where we had first women in some districts, and we're seeing this over and over, and over again, where our leadership is diversifying itself, and we're seeing new leaders come up in these different states and districts, and as you said, Jared Polis was one that was also made headlines. He was the first openly gay governor of Colorado now, and so that was definitely a trend that we continue to see, something we've seen in special elections over the past year or so, which I'm sure we're going to continue to see more into the future. What happens with the administration and their priorities going forward now that Democrats are are poised to take over the House? Mm -hmm. From what I've seen, a lot of people have been saying that they're going to try to make his life, uh, President Trump's life, live in hell. They're going to bring back a slew of investigations, kind of Mm -hmm. revive the Russia investigation. They're going to maybe look into his finances. Axios actually obtained a spreadsheet earlier this year with a list of all these investigations that Democrats are planning to look at once they did take over the House, looking at, as you said, President Trump's tax returns and his family businesses, his dealings with Russia, payments to Stormy Daniels, James Comey's finance. So we're going to see this a lot. Now that Democrats have control of the House, we're going to see these investigations nonstop. Russia is going to continue to become a central issue, something that President Trump is going to have to deal with even more than he has already this far into his presidency. So that will certainly become a central part of the political landscape. And of course, when we have a Senate that is even more Republican and a House that is now Democrat, it's going to be very difficult for any legislation to get passed. On the Senate side, reports have been saying that at least the president is going to be able to ram through a lot more judicial picks. They picked up a couple seats, so mm-hmm. the majority kind of shifts a little bit more in their favor. Any judicial appointments that the president wants to throw in there might be fast-tracked a little bit easier. And this is something that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is passionate about. He wants to get as many conservative-leaning judges confirmed as possible, and we've seen that already just in these past two years where he has consistently gotten more and more conservative judges on the court in the U.S., and that has such a long-lasting impact, and it's something that, of course, Democrats will celebrate taking the House back, but it's something that Republicans are continuing to leverage their advantage long-term. Well, big changes are coming for the next two years of the Trump presidency, and uh, we'll see how it's all going to shake out and what can get done with this divided uh, now House and Senate. Steph Kite, reporter for Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. They're very rarely seen in terms of a public interaction. They don't have one. They're in maintenance lots. They're in camera rooms. They're doing things that Border Patrol agents can do, but the Border Patrol would prefer those guys in uniform be out on the the line, so to speak, out on the border. Joining us now is Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter for The Wall Street Journal. 
We are continuing to monitor the uh, story of the migrant caravan heading towards the United States. The United States has also deployed a bunch of troops to the southern border to help support Department of Homeland Security. The last time we talked, Alicia, the plan was to send just over 5,000 troops. Now we're hearing somewhere between 7,000 to 8,000 troops are actually going down there. What can you give us as an update? So it looks like it'll be closer to 8,000. That was the last figure given, and those folks should be in place within a few days here. It's well over 5,200, I believe, as of today, or right at 5,200, rather. And it's, it's going to creep up to eight over the next several days. Folks have, have been moving rather quickly into the area. They're not always seen as I'm driving around the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas. The last couple of days, there's been times where, yeah, they're, they're super visible. They're out on bridges stringing concertina wire, that sort of coils of razor wire, basically, along bridges and such. And then they're doing other work that we're not seeing. There's a staging ground near one bridge, near the Donna Hidalgo Bridge, if your listeners know where that is. On a big pot of land next to the port of entry, they've got dozens of tents set up. Heavy equipment's been going in over the last couple of days. And they're setting up basically a little bit of a base camp slash staging area is, is what it looks like. And just some of your observations there, they're setting up barbed wire on a lot of fences and some of the bridges. These aren't um, classic points of entry that people would take. So, I mean, some of them, I think you said they'd wade through the Rio Grande and present themselves to Border Patrol on the other side. They're not really taking these bridges a lot of times. So there's a mix, right? So you have more people than not come across the river or the border without permission. They come between the ports of entry. 107,000 families did that last year. And by families, we mean an adult with a child. They're related. They come and present themselves. They're traveling as family. Could be multiple adults with multiple children and so on. 396,000 people, though, total came across the border illegally last fiscal year. And that's from October 17 to the end of September 18. So there's a lot of people doing a lot of different things. The chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff General Joseph Dunford said that these active troops will not be coming into contact with any migrants traveling towards the border. They're just there to provide support for Department of Homeland Security. And we know that other presidents have sent troops to the border before. George Bush ordered 6,000 troops. President Obama ordered 1,200 troops. Besides the rhetoric that's going on right now, is there anything different about these deployments that they have been in the past? Well, in the past, under Operation Jumpstart, under the Bush administration, and then Operation Phalanx during the Obama administration, they were National Guard troops. And as your listeners may recall, earlier this year, in the midst of a previous migrant caravan from Central America, it ended up making its way toward Tijuana and into the port of entry there at San Isidro. The president authorized about 2,000 National Guard troops to come to the border and, again, help out. They're very rarely seen in terms of a public interaction. They don't have one. They're in maintenance lots. They're in camera rooms. They're doing things that Border Patrol agents can do, but the Border Patrol would prefer those guys in uniform be out on the line, so to speak, out on the border. And in some cases, I was down in Yuma last week, troops there are actually filling baby food containers. There's lots of families and lots of little kids. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to put formula together. And this would just free up the Border Patrol agents to actually deal with migrants once they arrive with the processing and all that stuff. Right. Because, again, the troops can't do that. Yeah, They can't exactly. enforce the law. They can't do much that we think of as border enforcement. And by much, I mean almost anything. Some cost estimates for this range anywhere from 42 million to 110 million. I've seen even more than that, depending on if aircraft is used, different things like that. Has there been any blowback with regards to cost of this stuff? 
there's lots of wide estimates, right? And, and we've seen reports on previous deployments of hundreds of millions of dollars, upward of a billion dollars during the Bush administration. And that was a, a very lengthy deployment of National Guard. It's going to fluctuate. Advocates for immigration policy changes and advocates for immigrants themselves have said this is a waste of money, that these are women and children by and large in these caravans and you're using highly trained military personnel and lots of really expensive equipment. And so obviously there's some concern there that the cost is going to continue to grow as, as these folks move people and equipment in. It's hard to tell right now what the cost will be. The, the administration, the Pentagon in particular, has not released specific statistics or, or estimates yet. I think time will tell on that, and it will, of course, vary on the length of deployment. And the last question I have, Alicia, what is the estimate of how far the caravan is now currently? It's hard to describe it as a, a single caravan, right? There's multiple right. groups of people and they've kind of spread out over Mexico, but the groups are heading into Mexico City. Some have arrived and they're sort of reconstituting and, and gathering and getting aid in Mexico City starting, you know, in the last day or so. And we expect, I, I believe the last estimate I heard is that's going to continue on for the next day or so, a couple of days even. But the groups, by and large, are still potentially weeks away from the United States. You're talking six to 700 miles to the closest border crossing. As soon as the hangover of the election wears off, this is going to be one of the next big stories that's going to happen as they get closer to see what develops there. Alicia Caldwell, right. immigration reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. We don't quite know what it's comprised of. Scans of it have shown some evidence of ice possibility in there, which would suggest a comet. But when it went closer to the sun, gases weren't released. It didn't appear to have a tail like you'd see with a comet. So that didn't quite make sense. Joining us now is Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios. We're going to be talking about this crazy space story. Scientists were causing a stir. Harvard University researchers at that saying that this interstellar space object called Oumuamua might be some type of alien spacecraft or some type of probe. The first interstellar traveler that we have, it's not necessarily a comet or an asteroid. What do we know about Oumuamua? We don't know a lot, which is why this is exciting and why it felt like a bit of a buzzkill to come out <laughs> and say, guys, it's it's almost definitely not aliens, but that playing the odds, plus the study didn't really provide any good evidence for it. But in terms of what we know, we know that this cigar-shaped object was detected in October 2017 using a telescope in Hawaii, which is why the name is Oumuamua. It means scout or messenger in Hawaiian. It's a pretty appropriate name, even though it's difficult to pronounce. We don't quite know what it's comprised of. Scans of it have shown some evidence of ice possibility in there, which would suggest a comet. But when it went near closer to the sun, gases weren't released. It didn't appear to have a tail like you'd see with a comet. Mm -hmm. So that didn't quite make sense. And when it passed the sun, it suddenly sped up. The Hubble Space Telescope spotted it in uh, January of 2018, and it was about 25,000 miles ahead of where it was expected to be at that point. This object basically came from another solar system, passed through ours, didn't get captured by the gravitational forces of any of the planets in our solar system, mostly because it was traveling so quickly. 
was traveling about 70,000 miles an hour. What do we know about the way it was traveling? Because as you said, it's kind of a cigar shape, so it's long and flat. And it's not going through space in a line. It's kind of like tumbling along. So if you can think of the journey through space that would make you most nauseated, um, (laughs) that's what this thing is doing. It's tumbling over and over and over. It is not going on a straight line. It is not going, you know, around the sun or around Jupiter or another large object that would have the gravitational field to capture it. It's just sort of cruising and tumbling. So that we know. The new study, which was posted on a website, which is a website where you can post studies that you're submitting to journals. It's a little bit sketchier to report on them because a lot of times they haven't been peer-reviewed yet. But these are Harvard researchers, including the head of the Harvard Astronomy Department. And they basically say the acceleration, we can't account for it in other theories or hypotheses. So what they're thinking, which isn't ridiculously outlandish, is that maybe this form of a light sail. And a light sail is basically a propulsion system that takes advantage of solar radiation. So it's sort of like instead of a sailboat on Earth taking advantage of wind, you're taking advantage of the solar wind. One of these authors is actually involved in a project to create a light sail, I believe, to Alpha Centauri. So it's not altogether strange that this study (laughs) has that in there. They did mention that it was more of an exotic scenario, not saying this is true. You know, this just could be a possibility. They've said that this is the first interstellar object we've observed, not to say that it hasn't happened before, just doesn't happen very often or we haven't been looking. Are we going to be looking for more of these types of things? There'll be some new observing systems coming online in the next one to two years that have capabilities to possibly spot more things like this in terms of the size and the trajectory. It seems to me what may be happening is we're kind of arguing between our traditional definitions of asteroid and comet. And we see this thing zipping by and we're trying to figure out what the heck it is and where the heck it came from. And we're probably going to find out pieces of other worlds travel through ours pretty frequently that we just hadn't noticed them before, and that our notion of what is an asteroid versus what is a comet versus what is normal and what is not is going to change in the next couple of years. And that's particularly exciting. Everybody on Twitter was yelling at me and other reporters who, you know, were saying, hey, this isn't alien, because, you know, even the Harvard paper says this is a pretty exotic interpretation, but hey, maybe this is an alien spaceship. (laughs) And it's like, Okay, well, thanks for throwing that out there. That's going to be the headline of everything. <laughs> and it was. But, That's exactly what it was. what sparked everybody's interest. Of course. But they didn't offer any evidence to back that up. But yeah, okay, that's one of the possibilities, but it's, it's one of the least likely possibilities. Right. It's much more likely that we just have a different idea right now of what these things are, and we're going to see more of them once we're able to, that this was like a lucky observation. Right. And in the future, when we're really looking purposefully for these, we're going to discover that this is much more common than we thought. Andrew Friedman, science editor at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. 
leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.